And it's not because I've achieved some unbelievable level of success or I'm making money hand over fist because I'm not, right? We pay our team very, very well. You know, it's because people want to say yes to you. People want to have a relationship with you. And those of us who are at the table, I just want everybody to know that I'll give you my chair, but I'm going to stand next to you because I'm still at the table. But let's sit at the table together and have a conversation about what we can do to help each other instead of think that we're competition for each other. Because again, there's more than enough to go around. I'm hoping that there's a massive consciousness shift that somebody takes the freaking red pill, right? And enough people take the red pill so that they realize that this can be a positive, wonderful world of abundance that you can live in instead of thinking that you've got to fight for the scraps underneath the table. Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome. I've got my good friend, Matt, on with me today. You guys are in for an amazing treat. I don't even know where we're going to start this thing. Yes, I do. Matt, before we even get into the show, if people want to get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, they should just find me on LinkedIn. So Matt Halloran on LinkedIn. I've been on LinkedIn since I think LinkedIn was about 10 months old when I went on there. So if you just literally type in my name, I'll be the first person to come up. That's the best way to contact me, communicate me. I mean, that's how you and I met. Like We message each other through LinkedIn. I'm super active on there. So that's the best way. For sure. So ladies and gentlemen, you're in for a treat today. I don't know if you know that already, but you should now because I don't usually go on and on in the beginning of an episode. I just kind of roll into it. So Matt's got this amazing podcast. Tell me about the podcast. Yes, LinkedIn, two podcasts. Yes, we have two podcasts. So we've got the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. We started off our company, Proudmouth, in the financial services industry. We've got 300 episodes of the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. And then we just started another one, which is the Be Your Own Loud podcast. And so that's a little bit different. That's more about, it's not about financial services marketing. It's about uh, people like you who've risen above the noise to be their own loud and who are unapologetically themselves. They're more inspirational stories where I get to interview uh, like unbelievable human beings like you. So it's very, very different than our first one, but both of those are available on every single solitary player that's out there. Okay. So... Be your own loud. That sounds a little wonky. What what do you mean be your own loud? How did you arrive at the place where be your own loud is a thing? So the foundation of everything for where we are in life is our goal is to free the world's experts from the torment of sales, right? So many people don't know how to build relationships with their ideal clients and prospects without having to do that schmucky sales stuff. And so what we decided was the best way for you to do that is to get your voice out in the marketplace. And our our logo here is a megaphone. And that's where it started. And then we were working with this marketing company 
And, and they're like, wait a second, what you help people do is to be their own loud. And we're like, well, break that down a little bit. And they're like, well, what you do is you help people get their voice out in the marketplace, but it's their message, it's their voice, it's their relationship, it's their content. And what we want people to do when they're loud is to rise above the noise of all of this crappy misinformation, Jerome, that's out there. It's horrible, right? There's so much crap out there. And the problem is, is that there's not counter crap. My whole existence is to build that counter crap, to make it so that the right information is getting to the right people to help them live better lives. That's what we're here to do. Whoa. So you mean that your local YouTube guru isn't the answer to all of your marketing messaging? And the reason that people don't actually leave the crappy jobs that they don't actually feel passionate and invigorated to do on a daily basis is because they don't know how they're going to make money outside of the thing they were trained to do and have been doing for all the years. And if they could make money doing the thing that they want to do, then they would try to go down that path, but they don't want to be salesy because nobody likes salesmen. No, man. And salesmen don't like being salesmen. I've been in sales for 20 years, man. And I'm telling you, so our process, our onboarding process went from six calls to two by using the system that we actually bring to our clients. People call me, in fact, I've got an email on my screen right now that the guy's like, hey, I'm ready to go. I just have a couple of questions. I don't have to sell them. I don't have to close them. I don't have to do that. Hey, what do I need to do? Get you in the car today. Crap, right? You know, the influence techniques of how you do the close with the counter stuff, with the takeaway. I mean, dude, I've learned all of that. I used to teach that stuff. And now people opt in. That's what people want, Jerome. They don't want to be sold to. They want to want to buy from you. I think that's where the world is changing. And I don't think that companies are changing fast enough. I don't think people are changing fast enough. I think there's still this bravado, right? Of this uh, me, strong Elon Musk, you know, Jeff Bezos. But all of us are sitting here saying, why aren't you doing something with all that money? Right? I'm tired of you beating your chest. I'd rather have you show me you're a human and then I will buy from you. And that's, that's, that's why I get up every day, man. But can I just give the logo? Like, why do I have to be a human? I need to just be like behind the veil and you give me money and I don't ever engage with you. Right. I mean, that's the way this thing works, right? Yeah. I don't understand why people think that the way that we marketed in the 1900s is the way that we need to market now. That's the way it used to be. Right. So I say this a lot. Friends, right. It was on Thursday nights, right. Must see TV on NBC Thursday night. And people knew that I could put my ad there, spend millions of dollars and get in front of my ideal audience, even though that they were really just blanketing the world with their crappy messages. People don't want that anymore, right? So on Facebook or LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, ads show up that talk to me because the algorithm knows what I want. The algorithm knows what I have clicked on before. Now, some people think that's a privacy issue, Jerome, and I understand that. And some people are weird about that. I think it's refreshing. I think it's wonderful that marketers are finally communicating directly to me instead of me having to weed through all of this crap, this noise. And we want to help our clients rise above that noise. Wow. Okay. So clutter, noise. Yeah. How do you rise above that? Like, I mean, is there a secret formula or something? There is. Like, there is. No way. There is. And, and here it is. It's super simple. Freaking be you. 
right? This is why I was so excited about being on your show because you have embodied everything that we want in the world, which is you're unapologetically yourself, right? You're an expert and you're vulnerable. Like I've listened to your show, dude. There have been times where I, I got choked up because you said something. I was like, damn, he actually said that on the show. And I feel like I've got such a more deep, powerful relationship with you. And this is literally the second time you and I've talked face to face because you built a relationship with me on my time, my friend, using your wisdom and thought leadership. I believe that that's how you truly authentically get rid of the noise. And I opted into you. Now, that's the other thing that's important. I subscribed to you. I follow you, right? If you're giving me great stuff, I am going to do that. And then I'm going to want to do things like buy your hoodie and listen to your podcast and go to your retreat and you know tell people about you because you have impressed me because I feel like I know you. Now, I'm sure there's layers of Jerome that I don't know. And hopefully, you know, in life, I'll get to know you better. But the fact is, is you've given me enough to want to know more. And that's what I think has changed in the world of marketing, in my opinion. Okay. 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 So unapologetically you, this is deep because a lot of people don't actually like themselves. So they don't want to share themselves with other people because they're scared they're going to get judged. Right? So what do you say to the person who comes to you and you're like, man, I, I hate my job. I want to go build my own thing. I don't even know how to sell anything. And you know, I'm just going to put a logo on it and they're going to buy. Right? So Oscar Wilde said, you've got to be you because everybody else is taken, right? And I think that's a gift that, I think that's where a lot of it starts, man. I think that you have to be at least okay. You might not have to love everything about you or what you do, but you have to at least be okay with it. In fact, a mutual friend of ours just posted today that you know people always say, do what you love, and Kelly said, it's not do what you love, it's find love in what you do, right? And I think that's the same sort of permission that we need to give ourselves to be okay with the fact that, you know, let's take that risk, right? If you hate your job, if you wake up and you don't think to yourself, today is a gift that I have been given that I'm going to try to do something to make the world a better place, do something that I truly love to do, not necessarily, right? Finding the things that you love in what you do. If you're not doing that, get out. Now, I know we all have to make money, dude, and I'm, I'm all about that. I personally like money. I think money is a wonderful thing that you can have. But I got so tired of making money and feeling dirty at the end of the day. I know your story on that, man. I was just, uh, you know, uh, we, you and I are in a very similar situation when it comes to that. And and it's scary when you, and for you, cast off the shackles of the corporate world where you're making bank, right? I was flying around in private jets, eating dinners that I couldn't afford to buy on my own. I was hanging out with a guy whose watch cost more than my home, right? <laughs> and I'm sitting here thinking to myself, do I want to be that guy or do I want to be me? And I chose me. Do you regret it? Oh, it was hard. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you, we, we talked about that when we got to know each other and kind of on the pre-call with the stuff. And it, it was not easy. It was not easy. Uh, there were times where I'm selling stuff to make ends meet, you know, things that are important to me that, of course, now I look back on and they obviously weren't that important to me. 
you know, bootstrap and stuff, asking people for help, level of humility that you need to have to seriously say to friends and family, do you have a hundred bucks? Right. I mean, those sorts of things, but that gets you more in tune with yourself because everything that with a huge amount of assistance that I have had the privilege to be involved with, all of it came from not always the best place, but there's a great video on YouTube. It's this old Jewish rabbi, and he's talking about lobsters. And he says, you know, and it's funny that a Jewish, you know, Orthodox Jewish rabbi is talking about lobsters because, you know, they don't they can't eat that. <laughs> and so he's sitting there and he's sitting there and, and he's saying, you know, people don't understand that, you know, growth is like being a lobster. You are confined in this terrible, uncomfortable shell until it breaks and then you're able to build a new shell, right? Everybody's so afraid of the pain and the break, but they don't realize what's on the other side is, is so beautiful and so freeing and so wonderful. And I don't know, that's kind of where I'm at, dude. Man, so they're breaking out their matrix. So you told stories, and you're a great storyteller. It's one of my favorite things about you. I want to hear the story about the account that you chased <sighs> for a long time. And you finally got the meeting. I, I want to hear the whole thing. I want so, the whole thing. So about two years ago, I started on a journey with one of the largest financial planning firms in the United States. Everybody has heard of them. I'm not going to use their name right now. And I get to a specific point, And it wasn't the decision maker. And we get shut down. Right. And for us in financial services, I know you have financial services clients. So we work in heavily regulated environments, right? So attorneys, accountants, physicians, that's where we live, right? And in financial services, it's terrible because there's a whole bunch of schmucky, terrible people who did a bunch of terrible stuff with people's money. And I just kept pressing and pressing and pressing. And I'm very patient. So what I do is I put on my calendar, I will put a tickler. So I'll say, hey, I'll call you back in six months. All right. But I really call them back in four, right? Or I'll email them or I'll put time on their calendar. And so I did this and I did this and I did this. And finally, I got this person's attention through a LinkedIn post. I had said something that really resonated with this guy who hadn't worked at this company, Jerome, but he just came in. He was hired for something very specific. And what I was talking about was that I'm really upset because I'm Generation X, right? Nobody markets to me. I don't understand this. Everybody goes from boomers right to millennials, right? So I'm Generation X. I'm in peak earning years. We have no pension. I've lived through two stock market crashes. Nobody's in financial services is marketing to me. And I said something about it on LinkedIn and he reaches out to me. So this was about six months ago. Four months ago, I finally got the appointment. And so it's a Zoom meeting, right? And I thought it was just me and him get to know you. Hey dude, how you doing? You know, he loved the, what I wrote and we were having a real heated piece of generation next to, we were having a heated, passionate conversation about this. I get on the call. The president of North American sales was on the call. The chief compliance chief, not some schmuck chief compliance officer for the entire company was on the call with him. And it was all because it's just that gentle pressure, right? What I believe that you need to do is find ways to insert yourself into people's lives where you're adding value and good stuff happens. But that was two years, two years of work. My business partner, I love this guy to death. 
His name's Kirk. And Kirk said to me, dude, I would have given up on them 18 months ago. And I was like, well, I know that's why I do this. and That's why you run the company. But it's really about patience and patience and just trying your best to be authentic and putting out good content. Because at some point, that's going to resonate with somebody and you're going to get that meeting. That's crazy. Two years of tracking on social and then hitting a person who wasn't in the target because they weren't there yet, but they were going. And of course, I didn't even know they were going there. And it, he has been a connection of mine on LinkedIn for about six years in other financial services positions. I mean, he's an executive level guy now. And that's the other funny thing, man. I'm getting old, right? So all of my peers who we all started off as schmucks in this industry, you know, 15, 20 years ago are all now in these CEO C-level positions. And these doors are starting to open. Another interesting example, I had an initial call with an advisor two years ago. And he's like, I don't think this is ever going to happen. He was actually doing his own podcast with an outside business activity. And again, I just kept dripping on him. And, and you know, I, I know somebody who is in one of his programs. And so I, I planted a seed there. And then I planted a seed over here. And then I did a webinar with a company that he's involved with. So I got his attention there. And now we're doing two podcasts for him and potentially opening it up to an advising firm of over 20,000 financial advisors. So again, it's all about persistence and patience. And that's the other thing that people don't know or people don't get. It's that, what do I need to do to get you in that car today, Jerome? Here's the problem, man. That salesman's hungry, right? He's got to feed himself or she's got to feed herself, right? I think that foundation of the commission-based everything where you have no base and you have no security, no foundation, I think that's going to start going away because I don't think people want to live like that anymore. I, and I know I don't. Yeah, but if I'm an entrepreneur, I, I've got to generate revenue and there's got to be transactions, right? So even if I'm not in a commission-only job, as an entrepreneur, you know, if I don't sell, I don't eat. So- right. To the point of all the folks out there who are doing something they're not passionate about and seeking greener pastures outside, you know, that's not really an option for them, I don't think, unless you've got the silver bullet on that. I don't have the silver bullet, but I believe that that's mentally very different. So I think your reality, your matrix that you're living in as an entrepreneur is different than being a sales team member or employee of an organization. Because what drives me every day to live my mission to, you know, we got 23 employees at our organization now, all of that's to do what I need to do. My motivation is very different. I'm not thinking about just feeding myself, number one. I'm thinking about feeding 23 other freaking people, right? So there's a different thing. Plus, I'm being reinvigorated by it. But people do some wrong stuff when they're an entrepreneur. And, Here and we I, go. Yeah. So Here I, we go. Come on. Come on. The first thing is they stop doing everything to focus only on their business. I don't believe that's right. I firmly believe that if you're going to start your own gig, unless you were fired or you have a nervous breakdown, which does happen, I think you need to have a side gig to pay your bills so that you don't show up hungry in front of your ideal clients and prospects. Because I smell that. I know when you're a salesperson, you're trying to sell me something. You got to make that sale or you're not putting food on the table. Now, I'm not saying that I'm a jerk to that person or whatever, but I can smell. I know it. And people know it. So I believe that you should have a side gig for as long as you need to have that side gig to meet your monthly bill before you go all in. I think that's a misnomer. People are like, no, you got to be 100% into your entrepreneurship. No, you don't. 
That's dumb. That's a bad business, especially if you're a family person. What are you doing to your family? No, man, you got to make ends meet first. You got to take, take care of your house before you start building a mansion. <laughs> I don't know. If so might not like that, dude. I, I might have just pissed a bunch of your audience off. I'm sorry. It man. doesn't matter. The reality okay. of the situation, man. Uh, you know, I've done this. I've started four or five different businesses and all of the ones that failed miserably, I had no safety net. I'm never doing that again. And I wish somebody would have told me, man, get a job at McDonald's, dude, or get a job at Menards or get a regular day job and do your other stuff and do your hustle as a side hustle until that side hustle becomes something that's viable. And sometimes, Jerome, you know this, that can take 18 months to three years. <laughs> sometimes it's sometimes. probably the minimum, well, right? Because especially if you don't know how to sell. Right. Because you're trying to figure out how to sell. You're trying to figure out how to do all the things and build a product that people actually want and figure out the marketing message and building the email list. And I mean, you want me to keep going? Because I can. No, I mean, and you're absolutely right, but it does take time. So if you know what's going to take that amount of time, why are you going to be hanging yourself out into the wind and realize the, the personal, spiritual, physical and monetary hardship? that you're going to have to experience that doesn't make you a better entrepreneur, makes you a poor planner, right? So take that year and a half, build your list, hone your message, know your ideal client, start creating abundant amount of content so that people can build relationships like you and I have built outside of this conversation. You listen to my show, me listening to your show, us interacting on social, right? Do that, build up that momentum, People think that they're going to slap a logo on something that's going to go viral. That's just not real. <laughs> that's not the reality of the situation. I'm sorry. Because I've done all the things wrong, right? I left with no proven product that I could sell. I just did it off of savings, right? I had credit lines and stuff. And then I go into an industry that's capital intensive. <laughs> really say, I don't think you can do anything that requires more money up front, right? <laughs> I mean, I can keep going down the list of all the mistakes. And I laugh so hard because it's like, you're an idiot. Like, what did you think was going to happen? And then on the backside of that, you, when you're desperate, you don't ever make good choices. No. Right? Because it's all about short term. You can't play the long game to the point. And I don't think anybody actually gets it. And this is part of the reason why we're doing this extraction event next March of what it takes to actually pull that message out so that people can find out who you are in a credible way, demonstrate to them the value that you can offer to them, and then use the megaphone to share it with the world so that the people who are looking for you to come into the world and solve the problem can find you. Because right. it doesn't matter how good your product is, and this was the last mistake that I made, work on the widget, keep making the widget better, oh, oh tinkering, right? And nobody knows about it. <laughs> I just had a conversation with our executive team and we were looking at making a decision, a change, a modification to our product. And I said, you know, Hey, maybe we should do something a little different. <laughs> maybe we should ask our existing clients if they would want what we're building instead of us sitting here in our ivory tower, you know, drinking our lattes and stuff, thinking this is a freaking great idea. Why don't we actually go to the people and ask them? And they were, they laughed. They're like, dude, you say that all the time. And I'm like, yeah. And every time that we saw, talk about this, and we do go to our clients, we get the right feedback, and that's why we've grown so quickly. And, you know, it's so easy. 
especially when you're in that executive seat in the company, whether you're the owner, the entrepreneur, a partner or whatever, to think that your ideas are just the best damn ideas out there. But in my opinion, if you're not doing market testing, if you're not getting feedback, if you don't do a 360, if you don't ask your team members, hey, do you think this is a good idea? Because they're frontline, right? Then you're really, really missing the boat with no matter what you do, widgets, real estate, whatever. You're not that smart. And a lot of times you're not even the avatar of your product. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I'm not burdened with genius. I'm really fine with the fact that I know about this much about this wide of a track and the rest of it, I'm just smiling and just trying to do good work with as many people as I can, man. That's it. So, you know, and you, this is probably happened in multiple occasions, but on Kelly Cardania's podcast, you talked about a story where you were in the store with the clerk and the clerk wasn't having the best day and your son was with you, I think, and you gave the clerk a talking to. And so share that story with the listeners just to, so they can get this concept of being present. Because I think this goes to the unapologetically being you. And if you are that, I think you can be that in any environment. Yeah, this whole thing really starts with me being trying to be a good role model to my kids, right? So we have a family model. It's called, it's be the better man. That's our family model. In all situations, you need to try to find a way to make the situation as good as it can possibly be through your good works. It's not just intention. It's actually getting the stuff done. So we're sitting at our local grocery store and I could tell that the clerk is not having a good day, which is not having a good day. And my son is impatient because he's 18 and he wants to go do some crap play on his VR or whatever. And, and I noticed this. And so I started talking to the person and I don't actually remember the specifics on what his or her issue was, but it was the simple fact that I just sat there and listened. It was a bit, <laughs> right? I've been pissing off everybody in the line because, you know, I had like three items, right? And I'm sitting there for 10 minutes. And I had this kid's attention, Jerome. That was the cool thing. He was staring at me and we were making eye contact and there was a real connection there. Okay. So I remember the, the advice had to do with, it was the bags. That's what it was. Yeah, the Apologizing to me about the ripped plastic bags. Yeah. I looked at him. I was like, you, this is out of your control. You're apologizing to me. You feel bad about something that you have absolutely no control over. Stop doing that. And just my son, of course, was, he told me on the way home, he's like, yeah, I totally knew you were going to say that to that guy because I've told that to my kids. But so much of life is us apologizing and feeling bad for things that we don't have any control over. And to be brutally honest, dude, we have very little control over anything, very little control. And that's why I believe Going at things with a grateful, abundant mindset is the game changer. It's been a game changer in my life. I know that I might not wake up tomorrow. I mean, if you want to get real, here's the reality of it. When I wake up in the morning and I am conscious and realize that I have another day on this planet, I am grateful and I take time to be grateful. So many other people wake up, Jerome, and they're like, I got another terrible day. of This is a gift because you know what? Tomorrow you might not be given this gift. It doesn't matter how crappy your day can be or that you're first off, you're totally setting yourself up for failure with that mentality, but whatever. But finally, 
I don't care if I have to do widgets. I've had terrible jobs. I've had terrible jobs. And you know what? I still took those terrible jobs and tried to do whatever I possibly could to make the best of that terrible job. I was just on a podcast, The Traveling Optimist, Steve Odie. Odie. I did that. You did that? I did that. Yeah. And it's all about perspective. And dude, that's what I love about your show here, right? And I love about what you do. And I love the shirt. I love this message. I love this idea that your whole focus is changing people's perspective on their reality. Mm. And that's a big ticket item, my friend. I mean, you're taking on a lot when you're making people go through your processes. And I am very grateful that you do it for people. It's exciting, right? Because we can make the world, it's interesting, right? We have very little control, but the thing that we all have control over is the story that we tell ourselves about the thing that happened. And we get to decide whether it happened to us or for us. Yeah. And that is the magic, right? Because if it happened for us, then it is a gift. It's a blessing. It's a reward. It's it's something that is amazing and we should be grateful for. If it happened to us, now we're the victim and we're owed something potentially, but it's highly likely that we're not going to actually get it, right? Because what does the world really owe us? Not a damn thing, dude. Nothing, right? And so I remember hearing you tell the story of like playing on the bus at the concert and then running in and the crowd party so the guy could see the end of the concert and like i was just like man it's such a magical story but nobody had to do that like they were there already and they paid for tickets they let guys after they opened the gate they let people in who didn't pay who happened to be hanging out in the parking lot and they were kind enough to let somebody get an experience that maybe they had already had before They were kind enough. And so you should be grateful and appreciative for their kindness, right? But we go into this place expecting things we didn't earn and then being offended that we're not being given that stuff and doing things that from the outside looking in are just erratic and irrational. So we went straight into the deep end of the pool and the listeners are like wait well where did matt get all this from so like you talked about five businesses you talked about be your own loud the podcast you guys have a full like marketing machine behind it to help people not be salesy and get their message out there but where did this all start man like were you in financial services did you sell like what was the game yeah so i failed more times than i could ever count but I've always tried desperately to fail forward. Somebody told me that a long time ago, that don't look at failure as the end of something, look at it as the beginning of something new. And so the Navy, I'll start there. So I did terrible in high school. I focused on girls, not grades. And Don't tell your wife that. Oh, no, she knows. Oh, she's very well aware. And so I went into the Navy. I was 17 when I joined. So I went into the Navy. And after a bunch of unfortunate events, I got put on a ship that was going to the first Gulf War. And it was an ammunition replenishment ship, okay? Which if you know anything about the art of war, the first thing you try to do is take out supply lines, right? So I was on a big bomb. Uh, That's basically what I, I lived on. And I lived on it for four years. And somebody told me that Navy stood for like, never again, volunteer yourself. And I was like, okay, so that's the mentality on the ship. What happens if I did the opposite? So I did. 
And I thought to myself, you know what? Here's where it all began. I'm standing a watch on board. Okay, this is after the war. We were in a nor'eastern storm. We were going to Scotland. Now, you've seen ships when they go down and the water crashes over, right? You know, my ship was 514 feet long. And when it went down, we would go down 50, 60 feet. And then, you know, a wave would crash over. And I didn't get seasick, Jerome. I don't know. I have this weird whatever, genetic anomaly or whatever. Viking. So I, he's a Viking, ladies and gentlemen. He's a Viking. Yeah, that's right. Maybe that I am quite uh, from the northern part of Europe. But anyway, so what ended up happening was I had to stand all these watches because I was one of the only people who was in vomiting everywhere. And I would be in this big suit that was like inflatable thing. So if I fell overboard, you know, they were never going to find me, but they told me they would. And then I clip into this safety line and I would walk forward to the ship, do my job, and then I have to walk back. So what would happen is I'd be walking forward, waves would be crashing over, getting the hell beat out of me. And I remember thinking, you know, this isn't a lot of fun. But then when I would start heading to the aft part of the ship, the wind was behind me and I could jump. And so what I would do is I would jump a little bit when the ship would go down and I would soar up into the air. By the way, this is not smart to do because then the ship meets you, right? But whatever, I was indestructible at that age, whatever. But this became a metaphor of my life. And here's the metaphor. I can face the wind. I get really, really tired and I don't get very far. Or I can put the wind at my back, trust in the wind and see where the wind takes me. Okay. So that epiphany happened at 19. And that changed absolutely everything. So in the Navy, I ended up getting my enlisted surface warfare specialist, a Navy Achievement Medal, meritoriously advanced E5. I did very, very, very well. And then I got out. I got a degree that was a stupid degree to get. Ended up being the greatest gift that I've given myself, which is a degree in philosophy. So my undergraduate degree is actually in philosophy. The most unemployable degree, as what everybody said, my wife and I worked at a place called Boys Town. And that's where I got real perspective. I grew up without a dad, okay, which long story there. I'm not going to get into that. I was had the opportunity to be a dad to 36 at-risk teenage boys. So I got to be a father to kids who never had a dad. That changes everything. Everything. That's when I realized that when I looked at myself in the mirror, I was really happy with who I saw. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. Yeah. Yeah. Because everybody's chasing significance, right? That's when it actually matters. Like, you know, red pill, six levels, self-image, relationship, work, health, prosperity, significance. Significance is the pinnacle. And it doesn't matter how much money you have if you don't have impact. And, you know, you talked about Bezos. You talked about um, uh, Bill Gates. You talked about people giving it all away. And they're giving it away because they want to be significant. They want to matter. And I think you should have the prosperity. I do think money's good. I think you should have it. And you give out of your overflow. That's a healthy thing, right? You're on the airplane, put the mask on. Now I can breathe. Boom. I can share with you. I can help you. I can get you situated because I'm in a good place. Yep. I'm safe. I'm not desperate. Yeah. And so, yeah, you hit that and you felt that early. 
So it's going to be really interesting to see how the path navigates. But I think you've gotten back to it and you're helping other people live that out. Yeah. And that's, you know, there are epiphanies that people have while they're allowing themselves to be vulnerable that are life changing because of we use a very intimate medium, which is podcasting. We use a conversation like you do, an interview based format. Like this is not the first time I've gotten choked up on a podcast. This is who I am. Right. When, when I was a therapist, I'll give you a great example. When I was a therapist, which, by the way, I sucked at. Wait, hold on. Wait, so wait, master- hold on. How'd you go from a philosophy degree to being a therapist? Wait, where did that? When I was at Boys Town and I was helping these kids, I decided that I wanted to become a therapist so they could continue to help families after we left Boys Town. So that's how I made that transition. But it ended up I sucked being a therapist because everybody was an asshole, right? They'd ask for advice. I'd give them the advice. They wouldn't implement the advice. And then they would blame me for the lack of results. But people just dump crap on you all day long as a therapist. So when I would drive home, I would just cry because it was the only way I could just release my release everything that people just dumped on me all day long. And I would get home and my wife would say, my wife was the greatest gift in my life right now and has been for 23 years. How long can you do that? Right? Like she, it didn't bother her that I cried on the way home. It doesn't bother me. I'm a man. I'm as manly as any other man that's out there. And I ball like a baby. But that's part of who I am. And when emotions are present, and this is where podcasting is wicked powerful. When emotions are present, you can hear it in somebody's voice. And when you are, podcasting is so intimate. Now, I know that you're going to use this video. We do live streaming just like you do, right? We use the video too. But most people who listen to podcasts, listen to podcasts in their quiet time. Yep. Right? And I want everybody to just pause and think for a moment. If you're a business owner, if you're an entrepreneur, have you ever been invited into your ideal prospect's quiet time in their home? And if you say yes, it's creepy. I just want to say that because most of you, you know, you haven't because you're not using this medium. But that is why podcasting is so incredibly powerful is because that's when people listen to podcasts alone in their car. When they're working out, when they're chilling out before they're going to bed, when they're exercising, right? This is when people do it. And if you want to get the attention of those people, this is the medium that you need to do it in. It's the way to build a relationship quickly, a deep relationship, not a surface thing where you're talking about the weather, but actually a a deep relationship where people actually get to see who you truly are and what you think. So, all right, therapist, I suck at this. And I don't know that oh, yeah. you could actually suck at this because you were present and you listened and you had <laughs> empathy and mm-hmm. you went even deeper and in a lot of ways you're an empath. So you, you carried that with you when you, you went in and out. Yeah. So you had to find something that was more healthy for you. Yeah. So brilliant. So I ended up, I agreed with my wife, which I normally do because that's a way to stay married. And so because her advice was wonderful. And so I typed into career builder and I typed in coach, life coach, because I have my master's degree as a therapist and I have a graduate certificate as a life coach, which is very rare. Most people go to the International Coaching Federation or Coach U. That would, this was before those organizations existed. I got my master's certificate from the, one of the only PhDs in life coaching in the United States. And there was two things that came up. One was Vistage, which is an amazing organization, but you have to buy into it. Back then you did. And the other one was this guy named Ron Carson, okay? I 
applied to be a coach. They wanted a coach. They ran a financial service coaching and consulting company. They had a lot of clients. It was all based off of this guy's unbelievable level of success. They were not going to hire me. So I love this story. I'll make it short. I want the whole thing. Don't eight, cut it short. Give me okay, the whole thing. Okay. So, so eight interviews. I kept getting to the same person and they kept saying no. And I'm like, no, I know this is right. I know I can do this. I'm going to be the best coach that you've ever had. I'm the only person in your whole organization who's actually been trained as a coach. I can do this. So finally, I got to the number two. His name is Steve Sandusky. Unbelievable human being. Great author. Great podcast called The Belay Advisor. People should check it out. But I said, I just want 15 minutes with the owner this guy named Ron Carson. I didn't know this guy at all, right? And he's like, okay, fine. You're unbelievably persistent. Goes back to some of the, I have persistence is a superpower of mine, I guess. And so I sit down. So I'm way out of my league. I went to Von Marr and bought the most expensive suit I could afford. I maxed out my credit card, a $750 gray pinstripe suit, right? Because I was going to meet with this guy who ran a multi-million dollar financial services company. And I sat down at his table and he looks at me and he goes, well, you just won't go away. And I said, no, I won't. And he said, why? And I said, here's the offer. I can't believe I did this. I mean, I can, but it was very cocky at the time. I said, pay me half of what you're paying everybody else. Because by the way, I was a therapist. I was making no money. Pay me half of what you're paying everybody else. Give me six months. I guarantee you that I'm going to be the best coach you've ever hired in, in six months. And in six months, you're going to pay me what you're paying everybody else or more. And he goes, all right, it's worth a shot. So when I would coach financial advisors, Jerome, I would have Investopedia open up on my second screen because I had no idea what they were talking about. They were talking about IRAs, 401ks, Roths, annuities, fixed index and annuities, variable insurance, all this. I had no idea what they were talking about, right? But it was just language. It's just language. So I just had to learn the language. So within six months, here's how I got really into financial services. I was flying around on Ron's jet with him. I was his opening act to his performances. So it would go me, Steve Sandusky, the number two, and then Ron Carson. I built an entire holistic financial planning coaching program for him. I sold the highest ticket coaching program he ever had that they ever, and then they shut it down after I left, which was fine. It ended up getting me a book deal with Bloomberg Finance. I wrote the first social media book in financial services period called the Social Media Handbook for Financial Advisors. And it was all because I failed forward. It was because I realized I wasn't a great therapist, but I had these skills. I could listen. I really gave a crap about whoever else was on the phone. And because of my love for humans, it has allowed me to just continue to scale up. And then I went to Ron right before I ended up leaving the company. And I basically said, I want 20% of what I bring in. I brought him in like 1.4 million my last year there. And he said, no. And I said, okay, I'm going to go strike out on my own. And that, of course, it was unfortunate because I, I love this guy. He was a huge mentor, changed my life. And I was not loyal. And I, you know, there's people who loyalty is really important. But I'm eternally grateful for my relationship with that organization. Went out on my own, started something called Top Advisor Coaching. Did really, really, really well for a pretty long period of time. And then I, I met my business partner and we were both like, are you tired of telling people what to do and they don't do it? And then they blame you for the lack of results because he's a marketing and branding expert. And I was a life and practice management expert. And we're like, okay, let's just do this. So luckily we both had enough resources to shut down. He had something called Tact to Brand and mine was Top Advisor Coaching. We created Top Advisor Marketing at the time. 
And then this last February, we rebranded to Proud Mouth and within less than five years, we're on a run rate to do 2 million by just doing good work for people. And that's important to us. That's a That's like a rocket ship. I need to drop a bomb on that. Cause I mean, that it's just, you're an overnight success, right? <laughs> it only took me 20 years to get there, it only man. Took That's 20 right. 20 years with scraping your knees and falling and bumping your elbows. All right. So this isn't going to be a long interview and you guys just buckle up because we're here for it. All right. So there's so many places to go. So I have, I take issue with part of the story. You said you weren't loyal. You went to renegotiate the terms of the contract. You didn't have willing participant in the negotiation. And because they weren't willing to negotiate with you, you decided to do something else. How does that make you unloyal? So it's about perspective, my friend. I mean, that's really what it is, right? Ron knows to this day, and I support this, that I would not be me in this industry if it wasn't for him. He gave me the opportunity. Now, I took that opportunity with the freaking reins and I ran with it as fast and hard as I possibly could because I knew I had a gift. I remember he had this policy that if his door was open, now this guy was crazy busy. If his door was open, you could go in and talk to him, right? I mean, this, he was super crazy busy and I totally respected his dedication to time management. He had hired some amazing coaches that really helped him stay focused because when he showed up to work, it was freaking game time. He wasn't phoning anything in, my friend. It was game time. And so I remember his door being open and I knocked on his door and he whipped around and he's like, what's up? I said, well, you know, you said if your door was open, we could come in and talk. And he's like, yeah, I did say that. I was like, well, does anybody do that? And he's like, no, nobody's ever done that before. And I was like, okay, well, there's a problem, but we're not going to address that right now. I said, I just want to thank you. And he said, what, for what? I said, for this. I said, for this opportunity, for the learning, for the travel, for the speaking, for you having faith in me to become the best me I could be. And he sat back in his chair and he goes, you're the first employee who's ever thanked me. And I was like, so here's where I go with that. I, as a business owner today, want to be so good to my team that they are thankful. And that not just that they're thankful, but that they're grateful enough to say things like, hey, thank you. Because the first thing that I do is I thank them. Because you know what? I can't, we can't do this without my team. What are you kidding me? Hell, I tried to do that at the beginning. I was running 30 podcasts myself, doing all of the editing. And then my other, we had a couple other people who wrote all the social media. I know what it's like. So I am internally grateful. And I want to make sure that I know that People didn't thank him as much because he wasn't very thankful to them. And I never wanted to live like that. Now, he thought he was being thankful. I talked to him about this because he employed hundred some odd people, right? But I just wanted to take it that step farther, Jerome. That was really important to me. I want to be grateful to the people who help me, allow me to do this. Dude, I couldn't have been on your show three years ago, but I got a team now who pushes me, Matt. Who else can you be on their show? Talk about our message, build a relationship, get the word out about who you are and what we do. That's a gift. And they allow me to have that gift. And of course, I'm going to be grateful for that. Yeah. So that's part of loyalty though. So I want to get back to your original question, Yeah. right? A really good friend of mine said, Matt, 
I want to run a business so that I'm at least not the last person my team would pull me out from a burning building. He said, at least I'm not the last person. And of course, I'm going to take that the different way where I don't necessarily think I'm going to be the first person, but I'm sure not going to be second to last. You didn't ask for coaching. You're getting coaching today, Matt. So let me tell you what I've heard you share in this amazing story. And you can throw it away because you're actually got formally trained in this stuff, right? I'm just a guy that went through school of hard knocks. So you diminish your value in the beginning by telling him, just give me a chance. Nobody thinks that I can actually do this. They keep telling me, no, give me a shot. And I'll do it for half off. I'm giving you a discount because I'm not as good as everybody else. You stay there. So you didn't say that you were the best, but your performance was good enough that you were able to stay there. I assume that they did increase your salary to something that made sense. And the fact that you were bold enough to actually go in his office meant that you weren't scared that he was going to fire you on site. So you're doing something mm -hmm. right. Now, what you did tell us is you sold the highest ticket program they ever sold. And you did tell us that, you know, you sold two million. I think it was two million, one or two million. And that 1.4, 1.4 million. And you asked for 20% of that. Right. So, you know, I mean, there's so many places I can go, but here's where I will make the point. Right. I'm going to plant the flag here. Your loyalty was you doing an amazing job for the company. The point where you realize what your value was and you having the audacity to ask for what you felt your value represented and the person who you were asking for the new opportunity still saw you as the person who walked in the door and said, I'll do it for half as much and be as good or better than everybody else, decided that they were not going to participate in you smelling yourself or maturing or growing or whatever. But, and here's the but, you had the track record and results to prove that you deserve more than what you were getting, right? You earned it instead of just showing up with expectation that somebody should do something for you back to this conversation about the world owing you anything. You earned the opportunity and I suspect you were probably one of the highest sales folks in the organization from a revenue perspective, right? So. You start adding all that up. And the question is not were you loyal to him because you decided to do something else because you saw that the person that was writing the check did not value your contribution commensurate with what you thought was appropriate. But did he value that? Was he loyal to you and his actions? By shutting you down immediately, by telling you no or not even considering that this is a possibility and that there's true value here. And so, yeah, I, I get the model of your family of being the better person or being the better man and so on and so forth. But outside of doing your job to the best of your ability for the compensation agreed upon, what did you owe him? That's a great question. I hope you say nothing at some point, even if you don't say it here, because... Yeah. Nope. Yeah, that was the agreement. You fulfilled yeah. your agreement. If you look at anything contractually, and I mean, if you got to pull the contracts out, something went way wrong. Right. But if you look at the thing contractually. He was paying you for his service. He did the service mm -hmm. better mm -hmm. than what most other people did. 
based on the amount of, and we're using dollars as a tracker here, right? Forget all the other stuff. We're using dollars as a tracker. Why would you risk, and you're a business owner, right? You got all these employees. Why would you risk your enterprise, a a producer, somebody who's net positive, right? So let's say you ask for 20%. So let's say you were asking for $250,000 a year. You're bringing in a million. The overhead in these businesses is fairly low, but even if it's 50% for the sake of being, you know, grossly exaggerated, there's a 50% profit margin on the backside of this. So what are we actually saying? And you don't have to speak to that. I don't know the guy. I don't particularly care, right? I care about you because we're on the other side of the screen. And I just don't ever, I honestly don't ever want to hear you say that you weren't loyal to that guy because I heard you say it before. You're absolutely loyal to the guy. And you probably, in your exit, told him what you were going to do because that's just who you are, right? Right. And are you competing with him directly? No, because what you were teaching people to do, I haven't seen anybody else talk about it in the way that you guys have packaged it. Are you attacking and searching and seeking for the same clients? You're not. So it's not like you just turn the lights off here or turn the lights on in the next building and say, hey, come to my gas station because we got the same gas. And, oh, mine's is a penny cheaper because I don't need as much margin as them. Like, no, <laughs> like you are so much more valuable than what you were getting there. And it was just the matriculation of the way that it started. Now, yeah, he did say yes. He bought your offer. Right. But I mean, think about that from a, if you were a client, right. And your client buys something from you and you give it to them at a discount. Here we go. You you gave your client the thing at a discount. And then you say, Hey, I got these amazing results for you. You follow the guidance. I'd like to be played full freight now because I've proven to you that I can deliver the results. Sure. No, I no, I'm not going to pay you full freight. You're only worth that number. Well, are you sure? Because you got this return on your investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm only willing to pay you that. How long are they going to be client? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it so I hear everything that you're saying. I don't feel I was disloyal. I feel that my ability to continue to grow and to fail forward and to grow as a person, not only financially, but personally, I was not able to do that there. What I regret, my very few regrets, is that he feels that I was disloyal. That's the problem. I think that's very, very different than me not valuing, because I think in throughout most of my life, I've done what I can to say, I'm worth more than this. And if I can't get it here, I'm going to go here to see if I can do this either on my own or in a different situation, right? But I think that's the piece that, and I don't know how to solve that. And I don't know if I just, and and most of it, I mean, it's not something I think about on a regular basis. It's just something that I want to tell that story, Jerome, more than anything, not for him to hear it, but for other people who don't value their team members enough, for other people who aren't loyal to their team first, right? That's the point of that for me, is I want my team to know that I'm going to go 
to the ends of the earth to make sure that they have their needs met and that I'm going to provide a great work environment for them and that I'm going to thank them on a regular basis and be truly grateful for what they do for us. I've seen so many business owners, especially when you get to a specific level of success and that that bravado that I did this all by myself, not considering things like, I don't know, privilege, right? Opportunity, right? Doors that were open because of who you are, who you know, what you look like, how you were born, if you won the genetic lottery or not. I mean, those are all things that I try to take into account on a regular basis, and I don't think other people do. So by telling that story, I'm literally wanting to poke other business owners in the eye and say, you didn't do this by yourself. You didn't get anywhere by yourself. You got there from everybody else who you've touched and who's touched you along the way, and you should be truly grateful and thankful for that. I don't think that happens in our world as much as it should. I love that message. And so my struggle in this conversation was when you said I was not loyal. Sure. I got you. And, no, you heard me right. <laughs> and I've heard you say yeah. it multiple times and you were, you yeah. absolutely fulfilled your obligation. I think you probably left amicably instead of just shutting it down and then calling all these folks and bad mouthing them. Like you, you did all the things you had to make a business decision because at the end of the day, money is good. And, the people who produce it should participate in the rewards of it, right? It's not pie. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but you just said something that's so important to me to say out loud, is the world isn't pie. If I take this slice of pie, it doesn't mean that you're gonna make me have less pie. I freaking hate that. And that's the thing. This guy made $12 million a year. Million, right? If we lived in the world of abundance that I don't need so much exponentially more than you because I'm better, smarter, faster, whatever, right? If people looked at life that way, we wouldn't have this huge wealth gap in this country, right? We wouldn't have all of those issues. When I talk about Jeff Bezos and I talk about Elon Musk, I don't talk about them in a way that I look up to them. I actually feel sorry for them. Because they're not living in a world of abundance. They're living in a world of, this is my pie. And until they wake up and realize that, you know what? With the stroke of a check, every single solitary person in this country could go to college. With one stroke of one check, every single solitary person could have a living wage. With one stroke of one check, people could have all of their student loans paid off. With one, health care whatever you want, food, shelter, basic freaking Maslow's needs. Those two individuals alone could not just do that for our country, but could do that for a lot more people. So I feel sorry for them. I don't look up to them. I don't look up to both of them and say, yay, you won capitalism. I look to them and say, you're what's wrong with the system. I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't have gone there. I'm probably going to get sued for that, but whatever. How? What did you say I, other than share your opinion? Well, luckily, I don't think they're going to listen to me, so it's whatever, dude. But I want, I want other people to know that, that it's not win or lose. We can all win, man. I said this on Kelly's podcast, and I, it seems to be coming up often. It's There's a seat at the table. Come sit with us at the table. Stop fighting for the scraps that are underneath the table. You don't realize that there are seats, and we will welcome you to sit here. Come join us. The water is great, and there's more than enough to go around. There's a seat at the table. So few people hear that. 
they feel like it's for everybody but them. Once you find out there was a seat at the table for you. I remember cold calling a guy in the good old days when I still had to do that. I tried to get him on a podcast. He's one of the most famous people in financial services. Okay. His name is Bill Good. Bill Good Marketing is the foundation of all financial services marketing. And I remember picking up the phone. I wanted him on our podcast. We just started our podcast and we were trying to get high visibility people. Bill answered the phone, which was not normal. I mean, this guy's like, you type, this guy's famous, right? Picked up the phone and I said, hi, Bill, this is Matt Halloran. I don't know if you know me, but I would love to have you as a guest on our new podcast. And he said, I know who you are and I would love to be on your show. And I thought to myself, holy crap. I just asked somebody who was totally out of, I thought out of my league, right? And so now I'm asking everybody. I mean, I, I, you know, because I do feel like I can sit at the table and that was only like three or four years ago, my friend. I mean, this has been a newer epiphany for me that we don't have to fight for the crumbs. And it's not because I've achieved some unbelievable level of success or I'm making money hand over fist because I'm not, right? We pay our team very, very well. You know, it's because people want to say yes to you. People want to have a relationship with you. And those of us who are at the table, I just want everybody to know that I'll give you my chair, but I'm going to stand next to you because I'm still at the table. But let's sit at the table together and have a conversation about what we can do to help each other instead of think that we're competition for each other. Because again, there's more than enough to go around. I'm hoping that there's a massive consciousness shift that somebody takes the freaking red pill, right? And enough people take the red pill so that they realize that this can be a positive, wonderful world of abundance that you can live in instead of thinking that you've got to fight for the scraps underneath the table. Whoa. So Matt, I could do this for probably another hour. Uh, I know I'm over time. And so I, I've got to give you back your life. And so I've got four final questions for you to kind of wrap this thing up and put a bow on it. This sure. has been so amazing. I'm so grateful for you just sharing the way that you share with us today. And so first question of the four is what gift are you giving the world? What gift am I giving the world? Contagious optimism. I love it. <laughs> I think so. Uh, I think there are some people who actually resist the optimism, but I think it's contagious. And that's why I work so hard. I don't know. That's why I'm trying to work so hard to be so damn optimistic all the time. I, I lied. I said four questions. <laughs> now I got to ask a question because you're actually formally trained in this. So why would somebody resist optimism? Oh, it's, it's worthy. Dude, you, you've hit on this throughout the podcast. There's, there's a very interesting philosophical underpinning of everything we've talked about today is either positions of people in my or my life not feeling worthy, realizing I'm worthy and moving up. But the problem is, is so many other people just don't feel like they're worthy. That's why they don't make the calls. That's why they don't close the business. That's why they don't get their voice out in the marketplace, because they don't feel that they are worthy to do that. I am here to tell everybody who's listening to this that you are absolutely worthy. You're worthy of the air you breathe. You're worthy of the, the smile that's on your face that you're giving other people. You're worthy of absolutely everything. And your worth doesn't have to deal with what you produce. You are worthy because you are a rare thing. One of four trillion chance of being on this planet as a human being and waking up the next day. That to me means that you're here for some reason. Don't know what that reason is, 
but you are worthy and you should allow yourself to accept that feeling of worthiness. What are you most grateful for? Waking up every day. Being given the gift of another day is what I'm more grateful for. We could spend hours on many other stories, but dude, I'm surprised I'm still alive for lots of reasons. And because of situations in my life, I am eternally grateful that I am given another day every day. So that's what I'm most grateful for. Just the opportunity to breathe again and to walk around on this spinning marble in the universe. Wow. Okay. What dream are you most focused on catching next? Oh, I want a thousand people rising in love with noise and being their own loud. And I don't care if you do it with me, but I want a thousand people who look back and say that either listening to this podcast, reading our stuff, that we have empowered that many people to realize that people crave what you have inside of you, that your expertise and your knowledge is worthy and needs to be out into the marketplace to counteract all of the misinformation. Thousand people doing that would be, I don't know if I could ever measure that. I don't really care, but that's one of my goals. That's what I'm chasing right now. I just want to throw some love on you, brother. You are one of the most authentic human beings that I've met, right? You show up, you're present, you're totally engaged, and you're not here to posture. You're not here to position yourself or the brand as something that everybody's got to chase and, you know, there's very little of it. And it's, no, there's more than we actually probably ever could consume. And I want you to participate with us and I want you to grow. And it's from your experiences, you decided that you learned what not to do instead of following the example of what was done to you. And you're being the polar opposite of that in the world so that you are the change. You are creating the environment and the spaces that you wish you had when you were coming through. And I think so many of us, back to telling yourself the story, so many of us tell the story that, well, this is the way it was done. So this is the way it's going. I'm going to do it to the other people who come behind me because it's a rite of passage or because I'm going to get mine because I got everybody else theirs. So now it's my time. It's my time. And you're saying, no, I'm still here. I'm ready, willing, and able to share. And there's more than enough for me and the other people that go on this journey with me. So, and I, I think we need more social proof that your model works because I know it works. And I just don't think many people talk about it. It's all about beating your chest and showing how rich you are and having all the trinkets and toys to prove that you could actually do it. And so, you know, now we come to the final question of the four that I turned into five, and that's what's the one thing you want the listeners to take away from our conversation? There's a seat at the table. Come join us. There's more than enough to go around. And we really want you at the table. I don't want you fighting for the scraps anymore. Come on, let's all hang out together and make the world better with all of us. That would be it. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it straight from Matt. There's a seat at the table for you. Stop chasing the scraps. Stop deciding that all you deserve is the crumbs. There's a main course. There's a place setting. All you have to do is come to the table and be your best self. Until the next time, your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. 
We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.